Life presents various issues with a multitude of solutions. Having issues is easy. Getting to the solutions is hard. If you're up for a good challenge, stay tuned and welcome to Qualified Issues. My name is Carissa Galloway. I'm a licensed professional counselor in the state of Texas, and this is episode two of season three. Season three is called Qualified Roots, and this is where we're going to look at the root causes of some common mental health issues such as um, anxiety, PTSD, depression, things of that nature. Uh, Episode two here is about meaning and purpose. So we're going to start by defining the words meaning, and purpose. These are both from dictionary.cambridge.org. The meaning, the word meaning is defined as, quote, importance or value, unquote, and, quote, what something represents or expresses, unquote. Uh, Purpose is defined as, quote, why you do something or why something exists, unquote. So when we're talking about root causes, we again we are talking about things that can cause mental health problems so to answer this question i went to a couple different sites um they're more extensive lists than what my own mind could make up here um mind.org.uk there's no date or author given but the title of the article is what causes mental health problems so this is their uh, list of potential root causes the first one is child abuse trauma or neglect We see this root cause often in therapy. It causes anxiety, depression, symptoms that mirror personality disorders, PTSD, and and more. The second on the list is social isolation or loneliness. While social media is fun at times in terms of connecting to other people, face-to-face interaction, it will provide so much more stimulus to your brain. Um, Remember, at the end of season two about perspective, I discussed the negative effects of isolation and loneliness. Those effects include mental health issues like anxiety and depression and and more. Um, The third item on this list is experiencing discrimination and stigma, including racism. Now, how much this root cause affects your mental health will depend greatly on the severity of the experience as well as your personal level of resiliency. Um, The fourth on the list is social disadvantage, poverty, or debt. We are all born into the situations of our childhoods with no control over it. Perspective on your past and current situation will highly determine any mental health effects that this has on you. The fifth on the list is bereavement which is referring to losing someone close to you. While grieving the loss of a loved one is necessary to move forward, if it lasts an extensive amount of time, then it's time to find some help. This could be in the form of um, a grief group or individual therapy. Uh, The sixth item on the list of their um, root causes is severe or long-term stress. Chronic stress can affect an individual both physically and mentally. Sometimes when things are long-lasting, meaning chronic, people, quote-unquote, get used to it. 
and then cannot figure out why they have symptoms of depression or anxiety. And oftentimes when people come in with what we call idiopathic symptoms, in other words, they don't know where the symptoms came from, um, that's when we'll do a lot of um, Q&A about their childhood, about recent events, things like that. So we can try to pinpoint if um, there's an actual um, ex- experience that or event that kind of caused the symptoms, or maybe it is a more of a medical condition. Um, speaking of medical conditions, the seventh uh, item on this list is having a long-term physical health condition. This can affect someone the same as chronic stress, depending on the severity and lethality of the physical health condition. Uh, the next item is unemployment or losing your job. Losing your source of income can be a huge stressor. It's more of an acute stress, especially if you have had, uh, if you had debt or other financial needs that the job was meeting. Um, if you've been unemployed for a while, then it's probably more of a chronic stressor. Um, and it's likely you may start feeling depressed and anxious. If the job was part of your identity, then you may even experience more severe health, mental health issues and possibly even be grieving that loss. The next item was homelessness or poor housing. Uh, this is another example that could either be a, an acute or chronic stressor. There may be some negative self-talk that leads to depression and anxiety as well. Uh, number 10 on the list is being a long-term caregiver for someone. Individuals in this position may experience what we call compassion fatigue. This is where you're giving and giving and giving, you know, physically and emotionally for someone else to help care for them. And then you might just end up feeling extremely drained and tired, maybe even frustrated. If you experience this, you definitely want to talk to a mental health professional before it gets worse. Um, learning how to cope, how to set responsible and appropriate boundaries, um, and, and more, those will all help you manage your position as a long-term caregiver. The next one is drug and alcohol misuse. Obviously, you know, this can lead to so many different things. Misuse can become abuse, which can become addiction. I would even say... Um, with this listed as a root cause, there is most likely another root cause behind it, um, sort of the why you started to use to begin with. Uh, number 12 is domestic violence, bullying, or other abuses in adult. Um, so before I dive into this one, I, I do want to sort of differentiate and define bullying and teasing. So again, these are both from dictionary.cambridge.org. Bullying is, quote, the behavior of a person who hurts or frightens someone smaller and less powerful, often forcing that person to do something they don't want to do, unquote. Teasing is defined as, quote, to laugh at someone or say unkind things about them, either because you are joking or because you want to upset that person, unquote. And the reason it's important to differentiate between the two is because that's going to inform your reaction or response, as well as help you to decide in what way you will perceive that experience, how it will affect you and how you'll take it in. The next item is significant trauma as an adult, such as military combat, being involved in a serious incident in which you feared for your life or being the victim of a violent crime. In mental health, these are the clients most likely diagnosed with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, the very last item 
on the list is physical causes. And this is what they uh, give. They say, quote, for example, a head, a head injury or neurological condition such as epilepsy can have an impact on your behavior and mood. And in parentheses, they say it's important to rule out potential physical causes before seeking further treatment for a mental health problem, unquote. Um, and that, that is very, very important because there is a mind-body connection. Um, and if you are a spiritual person, I would even throw spiritual mind-body connection um, in with that. Um, the last thing that they say that I, I really want to touch on that I think is super important. They say, quote, Although lifestyle factors, including work, diet, drugs, and lack of sleep, can all affect your mental health, if you experience a mental health problem, there are usually other factors as well, unquote. And that is very, very true. Um, if you've ever done any reading on how depression affects the brain or on um, how eating certain foods can affect uh, depression, for example, um, you'll see that there is a two-way door there. They each act on each other. Um, there's another sort of more generic, well, not generic, I guess, of generalized example of root causes. And I, I really like this. This is on mightypursuit.com. Um, it says the mighty pursuit team wrote the article. There's no, no date given. The article is called the six root causes of mental health issues. The first one, I'll just go through the six list here and then kind of, um, expound on them in a minute, but they list genetics environmental, digital, circumstantial, ideological, and existential. So those are the six root causes that they say, the general root causes for mental health issues. So if we look at the first one, genetics. Now the authors tout this as theory in that a chemical imbalance, quote, can just be a symptom of an underlying issue such as stressful life events, environmental factors, or a poor diet, end quote. Uh, further in the article, they provide research from MIT and Harvard to show that with mental health problems, um, and the examples they give is like schizophrenia or OCD, there were genes that contributed but were not the sole reason for the mental health disorder or illness development. Um, my summary of this section is that genetics may contribute, but it is not the sole factor. I agree with them with that. This relates to last season where I talked about nature versus nurture and how both of them were somewhat too very causal in mental health problems, but one alone was rarely, if ever, the sole cause. So let's move on to the second one, which is environmental. In this section, gut bacteria, eating habits, polluted air, they were mentioned as factors in mental health issues. I would add to this list social environmental factors as well. Um, this is discussed in a different way in the next section, but um, your relationships with people is somewhat environmental, especially if you go back and listen to the podcast where I talked about um, Bonfin Brenner's bioecological model. Um, all of our interactions, not just with um, um, pollutants, food, um, and our own physical health, but relationships uh, with other people, um, interactions with organizations, government institutions, all those things um, are, in a sense, considered environmental as well. So the third um, cause of mental health issues that they list here is digital. Now they're quoting from the show Social Dilemma, and they're trying to show how notifications from digital media contribute to mental health issues. So 
their quote from Social Dilemma is, quote, digital notifications trigger the salience network of our brains, sending signals that something is urgent. This creates a series of false alarms, compromising our ability to discern what is urgent and encouraging multitasking that affects our brains, unquote. So if you go back to uh, season one, um, I want to say it was the second podcast about focus, where I talked about an article that I found, I believe on the Guardian, and um, they found that basically, if you're watching short videos for a long period of time, and these videos are like 30 seconds to two minutes long, the more you do that, you're basically training your brain to only focus for that long. Um, and that's what they're talking about here when they say, quote, encouraging multitasking that affects our brains, unquote. Uh, from the same show, they quote this, quote, likes can trigger powerful reward centers, creating a lasting mark on our self-worth. This use of social validation combined with programming us to only share snippets of our lives that will elicit a response has normalized unhealthy social comparison, unquote. So if you feel like the only validation you get for yourself is from receiving likes on social media platforms, um, you're programming yourself really um, and allowing them to program you um, to share things that will get you likes. Um, and it, it, I agree with them that it has, uh, quote, normalized unhealthy social comparison, unquote. The author brings up screen screen time on iOS and digital well-being on Android. And this is from, um, they're quoting Dr. Ann Lemke from her article, Dopamine Nation. She says, quote, the smartphone is the modern day hypodermic needle delivering digital dopamine 24-7 for a wired generation. As such, we've all become vulnerable to compulsive overconsumption, end quote. So my summary of the section Find something non-digital to do with your day. Find something that will create happiness or joy in your life that does not require the use of a digital service. Buy a plug-in radio. Hook up a landline telephone. These are great ideas if you feel you are one of those individuals who are, quote, vulnerable to compulsive overconsumption, unquote. The fourth item on their root causes list is circumstantial. Uh, This section, very similar uh, to what I previously discussed in terms of having no control or choice in our childhood circumstances. If you take the idea of, quote, compulsive overconsumption, unquote, and couple it with this next quote from the author, you're going to get an idea of why certain things in life are easily addictive to some people. Okay, so remember the idea of compulsive overconsumption as I read this next uh, statement. Quote, we don't want to remember what it was like around the dinner table as a teenager. We don't like thinking about what social life was like in high school. We don't want to feel what we felt in that moment. So we spend our lives running, medicating, and or avoiding, unquote. So compulsive overconsumption. Now, they were relating that to social media, but you can see in this uh, quote about um, avoidance, how social media, drugs, spending, um, uh, promiscuity, all these things can become, you can overconsume them in an effort to run away, medicate, or avoid um, unpleasant things in your life. Um, 
I agree that this is the case, as the author states, for those individuals who experience trauma in childhood. I also agree with what he talks about after that statement that, in essence, everything in mental health exists on a spectrum. Therefore, not everyone, as the author also states, will experience avoidance. If and how much a person avoids depends on levels of memory, resiliency, severity of the trauma, and so much more. The fifth item uh, that's that they state is a root cause in mental health issues um, is ideological. So the author uses dictionary.com to define ideology as, quote, the body of doctrine, myth, belief, etc., that gives an individual, social movement, institution, class, or large group, or that, that guides an individual, social movement, institution, class, or large group, unquote. Now, at dictionary.cambridge.org, ideology is defined as, quote, a set of beliefs or principles, especially one on which a political system, party, or organization is based, unquote. That definition kind of simplifies the understanding of the word ideology a little bit more. The author sums up the effect of ideology on mental health by saying, quote, in the end, what we see as a vast majority of mental health issues is that they are intricately tied to what we believe and the stories we tell ourselves, unquote. This is highly related to perspective, which I discussed in season two, as what you believe informs your perspective, which in turn informs what you think, how you feel, and eventually how you behave. He also talks about narrative therapy and that the stories we tell ourselves might need a different perspective. That is what narrative therapy is for. It helps you take a story where maybe you define yourself as a failure, for example, and change it into one where you are not a failure. Now, we're not talking about changing facts or reality, but how we view ourselves within that story. The last item on his list is existential. The author focuses on religions related to Jesus Christ. He discusses the concepts of sin, repentance, and redemption. These are somewhat tied to what we all experienced during COVID. When I think of existentialism as a root cause of mental health issues, I think more of you know questioning what you believe. If you are not sure what you believe in, that can cause at the least angst and worry, at the most confusion, mental chaos, anxiety, if not more. While the author states that ideology is the biggest factor in terms of root causes, I find that erroneous as your ideology is based on what you believe. Thus, it stands to reason that what you believe is the foundation of mental health issues to some degree beliefs shape a lot in our lives. So it is important to examine what you believe. While all the root causes listed above are definitely negative experiences, we can still find meaning and purpose in them. How? How? Uh, Carlsonschool.umn.edu. It's an article titled, It's Not Going to Be That Fun, Negative experiences can add meaning to life. This was written by Kathleen D. Vose, Jennifer L. Aker, and Rhea Catapano in 2019. They say, quote, research suggests that negative experiences can serve to boost meaning because they stimulate comprehension, in parentheses it says, understanding how the event fits into a broader narrative of the self-relationships in the world. Um, so they can, because they can stimulate comprehension, a known pillar of meaning in life, end quote. 
Um, so let's look at that broader narrative of the self relationship and the world that relates to self-awareness that relates to perspective. So you can see where using comprehension, which also would come through your critical thinking skills would help to create or increase self-awareness and to use your self-awareness to have a full comprehensive picture of that narrative um, to help you gain meaning and purpose from the negative event. So any event, even negative events, which may be root causes to mental health issues, they're learning experiences, which coupled with internal and external appraisal can lead to greater self-awareness. Have you ever heard someone say, or even said to yourself, I have no idea how I would react in that situation? Most likely, because not all of us are going to have the exact same life, um, the exact same experiences. You could have one person have a fender bender as a car accident story, and another person have a completely tragic car accident story. Um, neither of you would react the same way, um, even if you experienced each other's car accident stories. The only way you'll know is if you experience it. Now, I'm not advocating for anyone to go out seeking negative experiences. What I am advocating for is using negative experiences in your life to develop or increase your own self-awareness. This will also lead to a potential change in your perspective. For example, if you know someone who has had a miscarriage, but you've never been pregnant yourself, it's going to be very hard to understand why that person is so upset. But if you experience a miscarriage yourself, then you may start to change your self-awareness and understanding related to that specific situation. And thus your perspective is also going to change as well. The article also says, quote, whether unfolding in the moment, anticipated, imagined, or revisited through memory, experiences are, in a sense, how people live in time, end quote. The only way to explain how experiences are, quote, how people live in time, unquote, is that they are all important, whether they're positive experiences or negative experiences. When a positive or negative experience occurs in an individual's life, many times we hear that the experience changed that person forever. The individual may reflect on that event at various times throughout their life or maybe every day, depending on the significance of the experience to that individual. With that being said, we can see how meaning through experience is also highly subjective. It is also highly dependent on the individual's desire or automatic thought behavior to avoid negative experience and negative experience memory. The article also says, quote, Problems, adversity, and loss may promote efforts to comprehend how they, referring to negative experiences, make sense and integrate them within existing knowledge, end quote. This points to examination, reflection, and critical thinking. If someone is not avoidant towards their life experiences, they are more likely to work towards comprehension of that experience, as well as how it integrates with what they already know. A couple other quotes here um, from this article that I thought were really important. Quote, meaning informs meaning in life, namely through a pillar termed comprehension. Later, it says, quote, comprehension may be a crucial process by which people can extract meaning from undesirable, aversive experiences, unquote. So 
we're going to look at the word comprehension here. Dictionary.cambridge.org. Comprehension is defined as, quote, the ability to understand completely and be familiar with a situation, facts, etc., unquote. This will be somewhat dependent on your perspective. If you experience the loss of a job and have never lost a job before, your comprehension is going to be integrated with your knowledge, which will affect your perspective. In turn, your perspective will affect your thought process, feelings, and your behavioral choices. Losing a job for the first time may feel devastating to you. If your perspective is that you deserve to have that job, then you will think, that way, you'll feel angry and most likely fight for your perceived right to have that job. This is why external appraisal is so incredibly important. If you take the time to talk to someone who has lost a job before, it may change your perspective and thus help you understand if the loss of that job was justified or not justified. This idea is reflected in the following quote from the same article quote, Meaning in life was predicted by behaviors and feelings reflecting concern for others and outcomes as evidenced by arguing, worry, and stress, end quote. So you see the word others, other people, okay? Um, Concern for other people, concern for outcomes, and arguing. Well, it takes two people to argue. So Having that external appraisal, having that other person to bounce ideas off of, that is extremely important when it comes to your comprehension of a negative experience. And since most root causes are negative, this is why we're kind of on this pathway. Um, Another quote here, quote, relevant to the current paper's focus on comprehension, happiness was predicted by a focus on the present moment and disinterest in reflective thought, whereas life's meaningfulness was predicted by mentally linking events across time and desiring conscious, conscious, conscious reflection, end quote. So in other words, happiness is a temporary thing, um, whereas meaningfulness is more long-term where you're, um, it's like a snowball effect. Um, so you have this one, maybe a first experience, like a job loss, and then you go in and you, you go to another job and maybe you lose that job too. Okay. And maybe you learn, you know what, maybe I'm doing something wrong. So maybe you make a change and you go into the next one and it's your dream job. So maybe you're thinking, well, the meaning of losing those two jobs was to uh, teach me what I needed to learn before I got to my dream job so that I could keep that one. Um, So that's kind of what they're talking about. And this is tied to the idea of what is happiness too. Um, I took a class in school about happiness. Basically, happiness is temporary, whereas joy was long lasting. So the quote that we just went through, it really echoes that point. There's also a great book out called The Good Life by Dr. Robert Waldinger and Dr. Mark Schultz that talks about... um, in their subtitle, it says lessons from the world's longest scientific study of happiness. It also allows for a workbook, which I highly recommend. It's been fascinating so far. I'm not finished with it yet. Um, but the study has followed the same people, adding more people as time goes by since I think the 1940s. I could be wrong on that. Um, the study asks a lot of different questions and it uses those answers to show what happiness or quote unquote, the good life really is. So if you are interested in what happiness looks like, um, see if you are 
fulfilling what the study claims anyway the good life is, I would highly recommend reading this book. So let's go back to our peer-reviewed article on meaning and negative experiences. Um, You see in the last quote I read that happiness has little to nothing to do with meaning in life. At this point, it would be a great exercise to pause the podcast and ask yourself, what brings meaning, not happiness, but meaning in your life? If you go back to season one and listen to the episode on self-awareness, you'll hear me talk about an interview someone did with a professor um, who discussed this very thing. Um, The article is called Know Thyself, The Philosophy of Self-Knowledge. It was written by Kenneth Best in August of 2018. It's on today.ucon.edu. And he's interviewing author and philosopher Mitchell S. Green. Discussing this article, I talked about taking challenges. Anyone who has ever had a negative experience has faced a challenge, as that negative experience itself is a challenge. It pushes your physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, and relational boundaries. But as this article shows, Mr. Green talks about how it's these challenges in life that help us grow because we learn about ourselves, other people, and the world around us, which is related to gaining meaning. So if you couple this um, with that idea of finding meaning, you see where challenges, positive or negative, help us find meaning in life. While some negative experiences show meaning and purpose clearly, there are times where we don't know the meaning and purpose until later, if ever. So what do we do with that? Uh, Psychologytoday.com The title is Negative Experiences Can Add Meaning to Your Life by Dr. Catherine Aponte in February of 2023. The subtitle is Maybe You Don't Have Symptoms of a Mental Illness. So I'm just going to quote her key points. Um, She laid them out very neatly. I really liked that. Um, Number one, not all difficulties and misfortunes that cause suffering are symptoms of mental illness. So this points to season one where... In a couple episodes, I believe, I differentiated between trauma, drama, and issues. It is vitally important to healing and resolution to understand which of those categories your experience has placed you in. Is this life-threatening? Probably a trauma then. Is it something not life-threatening? Most likely an issue. Is it an issue, but you feel like your life is threatened? uh, threatened? It, It may be time to check your emotional regulation meter to see if you are allowing this issue to become a drama. Working through difficulties um, can increase resilience to life and lead to self-awareness and wisdom. That was her second key point. Again, her key points are all I'm quoting from the article here. Um, We're always learning and what teaches us things will not always be positive. But what we learn from negative experiences can provide us valuable positive lessons like resiliency, wisdom, increased self-awareness. Her third key point was asking what, not why questions, promotes a particular kind of self-awareness that can produce a positive outcome for one's mental health. So while quote-unquote why questions may help lead us to the purpose or meaning of a negative experience, Asking what is the only option when you cannot find meaning or purpose. Um, So she says, quote, asking what leads to self-reflection, unquote. So she gives some examples of these types of questions. They don't all start with the word what, but you're going to get the drift here as, as we go along. 
Her first example is, what is going on? Uh, What am I feeling? What's another way to see this situation? What can I do to respond better? How am I reacting? What are the problems? Are there circumstances that help better explain the failure, the situation, the condition, etc.? Dr. Aponte states, quote, these are the kinds of questions that lead us to positive self-reflection that will better help us cope with the situation and understand ourselves better, unquote. Never forget that some experiences are completely out of our control and even understanding. It could be that the purpose and meaning of a negative experience has more to do with your self-awareness and growth than anything else. If that is the case, I encourage you to embrace that as it will help you grow into a more positive, self-aware, wise, loving, and mature individual. So that's all for today. Thank you so much for joining me. If you have a quick minute, please consider leaving a review and rating this podcast. Maybe share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email me at fortheloveoftherapy at gmail.com. That's fortheloveoftherapy at gmail.com. Please remember a podcast is never a substitute for therapy with a licensed mental health professional. I am Krista Galloway. This has been Qualified Issues, and I hope you'll join me next time. Thank you.